Coming live from Calgary, Canada is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Kim Derek Rosdiba, branding guru, author, speaker, and blogger. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you, AJ. I'm uh, very excited to be here. Uh, where I am currently, it's a minus 30 with the wind chill. It's about minus 40. So I think everybody else is probably somewhere a little bit warmer. Yes, indeed we are. We are in a cold situation in New, in New Delhi. But yes, it is much, much comfortable than the <laughs> minus. Maybe today early morning it was it was around 8 degrees. I'm sure it is better now. I haven't checked it. But it is a lot difficult. Maybe this this conversation about brands and brand building and branding will bring some warmth, not only to the viewers, but also to you in those minus 30 degrees temperatures. So let's get to the talkie, talking on branding itself. So my first question is to understand from you, uh, Kim, is, you know, you say branding is a process and not a goal. And today the world is flooded with brands jamming every communications with channels, channel with the hope of gaining prosperity and fame. And that is where they are not able to do it. And they don't understand that branding is a process and not a goal. And the goal is to surpass customers' expectations at every touch point so they feel the brand's love. How do you see the present state of brands and branding that is happening in the backdrop of this thing that you believe in? Uh, great question. So it's very complex and it's chaos. I mean, the what we have today, I mean, go back, go back 10 years, go back 20 years ago. And the channels we had to communicate with customers were fewer. Today, we are inundated with too many channels. Um, just think of the social channels uh, from a digital perspective. We're also seeing different demographics uh, and use of different channels. So, so the complexity of getting your message out has increased tremendously. That being one thing. The second thing is, is that there's way too many brands out there. Uh, again, you go back in time. You know, there was a handful. You go into a grocery store and you would see, you know, three or four different boxes of cereal. Today, there is just a whole massive amount of different choices. And so all these choices that we have, how do we get all this information into our head? We have a list. Uh, and ideally, we want as a brand to be on that list and to be considered as you walk by. Because each time, you're not necessarily going to buy the same thing. There are going to be other things that you're going to actually look at. Maybe it's price. Maybe it's convenience. Uh, it could also be just your, how do you feeling that day? So, so getting on the list becomes the critical piece. How you do that is a number of different ways. And so uh, one of the things I've, I've done is I've developed the five C's of branding to help compartmentalize how do you build a brand. Right, right, Kim. We'll come to the five C's. But first about this, uh, this too many brands thing, and that is let, let making the messaging part very, very difficult. One thing we cannot do is about the number of brands. But what is it that we can 
do about communication and the type of branding that we are doing at the moment with whatever communication channels that we are using is it is it because uh, either there is some sort of a difficult task we are trying to achieve as you said branding is a process and not a goal but actually everybody is trying to achieve uh, pushing uh, their messages into the heads of people as a goal and that is where the disconnect is yeah so really you have to start with the product and 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 the product has to be the best of its own unique niche so so you have to define and you can't be everything to everybody and i think that's the first that's the first thing you got to you understand is who is going to be your target audience and what is the unique benefit that you're going to provide now the unique benefit can be something physical or it could be something perceived so you've got to actually understand what is it that you're actually trying to communicate and put into the heads of your consumer because we compartmentalize things ideally if one word if we can actually associate one word to a product that would be much easier for us to actually keep it in our in our minds you know being first is really important becoming first allows you to put that into your into your into your brain because it becomes important now i can ask you who was the first who was the first uh, uh, pilot that flew across the atlantic do you know you know I the answer to that, AJ? Pardon? I cannot recall immediately. And maybe if you say the name, maybe it will ring some bells. But as of now, immediately, I cannot. Lindbergh. So Lindbergh was yeah. the first. Right. Who was the second? You, I, impossible, that's, that's, right? Right. But if I ask you, who was the first woman? Would you be able to answer that? I, as I said, I can't remember. But the one who vanished, maybe in midway after that? Earhart. So yes. it was Earhart. Right. She was the right. first woman. Right. Interestingly, she was the second person. Okay. So what I'm trying to demonstrate here is first is easier to remember. You remember the first one that's, you know, that wins the World Cup. You don't remember necessarily the second. So being unique, having that position helps doesn't necessarily mean you're going to succeed but you also have to make sure that you're continually emulating exactly that message that you're starting with to that particular target audience okay okay now kim you have you know guided some of the fortune 500's oldest and most iconic brands and even now you are heading a very responsible position in one of the top brands at the moment. You have three decades of strategic planning, branding, and executing multi-million advertising and marketing campaigns, PR and corporate communications in agriculture, pharmaceutical, petroleum, airline, telecommunication, and on automotive industries. So you are the master for today. You are ideally the master to speak about brand and branding. So from your perspective, I would like to understand for the viewers, 
after so many years into this space, what have you understood? What exactly is brand and branding about today? Because you have already said that branding is a goal, is a process and not a goal. But for people who are trying to enter this space or trying to understand what this is all about, how should they look at a new year in terms of building a brand, which is a beautiful one and not about, you know, uh, which creates a wrong perception about either the product or the company. So when you start as an entrepreneur, you are either building something uh, physical or you're, it's a service that you're, you're offering. And what you tend to do, you don't, last thing you're thinking about is, is, is this a brand and how should I make this a brand? You're so focused on the quality and how you're actually producing what you're producing. And how do you get it to market? How do you get it to your customer? You've got a whole bunch of things to, to think about. The last thing you're thinking about is the brand. However, as you start developing that relationship with your customer, the brand does start appearing. And what I mean by that is the brand is the perception the customer has. Jeff Bezos says it, I think, quite nicely. I'll paraphrase him. It's what your customer says when you're not in the room. And it's that that becomes the brand. Now, the brand is owned by the customer. It is their perception. It is their emotional attachment. So once you start building that, you have to understand what is that attachment so you can continue to emulate it. Because if you don't, you'll become schizophrenic. And they'll go, well, you know, last time I came, this is, this is the experience I had. This experience was totally different. Airlines. I mean, airlines can't replicate this, the, the, the good experiences very often. And so, you know, they have a trouble trying to make sure their customers are happy. So they, they give them points. They give them, you know, maybe better service once they're on the plane. But there are things that you have to do. These are things that have to be consistently provided. So when you get to the brand, the brand is, as I said, owned by the customer. And so that's why it's a process because it's continuous. And that expectation continues to increase over time. Right, right. So, uh, Kim, if brand is owned by a customer because of their emotional connect, most, most of the times, what is the responsibility of a brand custodian or the CEO or even the board? Because many a times we are seeing that the brands are only talking about getting the maximum out of their product, their company, and even out of their brand image. But what about brand responsibility towards the customer who actually owns the brand as per you? Yeah, great question. So a lot of people think that branding starts with marketing, and it does. But it's marketing is not just the only uh, way to communicate. It is, and you brought up the CEO, which I think is a great example. The CEO... And if you look at some of the, the, the top brands today, the CEO owns the brand. They are part of that experience. 
And sometimes, you know, whether you like it or not, it, you know, um, again, not every customer or every person is going to be a fan of a particular brand, but that CEO has to live, every employee has to live what that brand represents. Now, that representation has to be determined as you develop your relationship with your customer. What I found with a lot of uh, uh, successful brands, particularly those that the entrepreneur is actually you know, part of building that brand, they're interacting with their customers every day. I go, I go back to Jeff Basil. He, in his boardroom, when he sits down in his boardroom, there's an empty chair. And that empty chair represents the customer. And it's there as a symbol so that every decision that is made in that boardroom is made for the customer. And, and so I think that's a really powerful signal of the importance of a customer. And so a brand is owned by everybody that is associated with because that's a touch point. Right, right. One more question on this, uh, Kim, is that CEOs may come and go, employees may come and go, but the brand custodian, actual owner of the brand is the customer, he or she will be there. Then why is it that boards or the promoters who are there, who actually has ownership of the company, they still let that thing happen when brands are getting, you can say, tampered with. And in a way, you are actually uh, hurting the customers and hurting their connect with the brand that has happened after so much of hard work and in so many years. So how is it that is it happening? Who is responsible for this? And if the customer just kicks out the brand out of his life, then why do they still feel that it is like, you know, as if it is just a one-off thing and we will still manage to again win back the customer? How does it work in today's time? Why many a times we see companies taking it so lightly? You yourself said the goal is to surpass customers' expectations at every touch point so they feel the brand's love. Where has all that love gone in today's time? <laughs> so so you're quite right. Um, I've seen uh, when I've done my research, uh, in particular entrepreneurial brands, uh, where the person is the brand uh, and that person either passes away or they sell the organization and there is a rough period of time. And that rough period of time is that transition of understanding what the brand represents. You know, if you're, if you're the entrepreneur and you know, you know it intrinsically, you know what your brand stands for. But if it's not written down so that everybody else knows, it gets lost or it gets misinterpreted. So, so you must establish a clear understanding of what your brand, brand is, the vision. I mean, you hear brand story. Um, you know, it's the story of why this brand exists. And so that's really important that that is articulated very clearly and so that everybody understands. But your question goes a little further than that, is that, you know, there are some brands that as time goes on, 
It's more about making money than it is about satisfying the customer. And, you know, we're going to be going into possibly a recession and there will be times where you're going to have to balance the two. Uh, but ideally, if you focus on your customer, you will get somewhere probably more positively beneficially from a financial perspective than as you start tinkering with everything and start taking things away. Right, right. Thanks, Kim, for this understanding. Now, let's understand it better through your five C's of branding. What exactly are your five C's of branding? And then I'll ask you more questions about brand custodian and brand ownership. Uh, thank you, AJ. So, so the five C's, the first C stands for commitment. And, and this is your brand purpose. This is the, the why. This is the, the, what I've been talking about of really being able to understand that. The second one is called construct. And construct is the physical aspects of the brand. It's the logo. You know, it's, it's, if it's a, if it's a uh, product you consume, it's the taste, it's the smell, it's the fabric, it's, the, it's all of the aspects, the colors. If it's, it has a sound, um, it's a unique sound, it's the total experience that you're constructing for the customer. The third one is your community. And your community is not just your customers, it's also your employees, it's your stakeholders, it's your influencers, it's all the people that you interact with and even your suppliers, hugely important. The next one is your content. And this is the one I, I mentioned earlier, AJ, is about the marketing. This is all the channels that you're going to be utilizing, your leadership um, as well, your voice in the community, all of the things that you will be touch points of being able to communicate to your customer. And the final one, and this is, this is the one that I think uh, a lot um, don't even think of, is the consistency. And consistency is about replicating what you're producing or what you're giving to your customer continuously. It's about data collection. It's about analysis of making sure that you are meeting your customers' needs, if not surpassing them, and also looking at trends uh, as well. So, so the consistency one is, is this part that you keep, uh, I keep talking about the process because it continually evolves. Right, right. Now, out of these five C's, what do many companies poorly execute? You must be I seeing it day in and day out. I would say it would be the consistency. Um, that is the hardest one. And and it and it's process, right? It's 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 not as fun. I, mean, I could you know do an advertising campaign, tell us, tell them how great we are as opposed to how can we make the product better? How can we make the product cheaper? How can we make it more convenient? How can we continually making the product better and, and looking at the data and analyzing the data to really understand what is it that our customers are telling us? What's the competition doing? What's the marketplace doing? What's technology doing? So this is the area that I think a lot of companies either don't spend a great deal of time on or they don't actually look at it seriously to start tinkering with their products. Okay. So who is responsible for that? Is it you have hired a wrong advertising agency? Or is it that you have not understood your customer well? What about the buyer's journey? 
And second thing is that is it maybe, maybe the bigger reason is that have you taken the customer for granted? Because if there is no consistency, it means you are actually tempering with the feelings of the customer who is still with the brand. And the way you are doing it, he may leave your leave this brand anytime. Well, who is responsible? The main reason for asking this is, uh, Kim, is to help people understand this and rectify that uh, that problem inconsistency. So it is everybody's responsibility within that company or that organization. It's every touch point. So, you know, give an example of a customer's journey, right? Uh, if, if, it's, if it's a product that you're selling within a store, you know, where is it on the shelf to when you take it home? Are there instructions sufficiently that you know how to use it? If there's a need for a call center that the person that you're talking to is going to help you, if there is a product failure, I mean, these are wonderful opportunities. Um, if you have the ability, customers reach out to you. And if the customers reach out to you, they're, they're needing help. Well, if you haven't been able to help them, that's not a very good experience. And I've heard many times where a customer has been in trouble and the brand helped. And guess what? They are your biggest loyal advocate ever out there telling people how great the experience was. And it, it may have been a failure. It may not have been the brand's problem. It may have had nothing to do with the brand, but they felt that maybe this brand could help them. So it is all about every touch point, every touch point. And so there's, you know, sure, marketing seems to take a large part of this uh, within larger organizations, but at an actual fact, it's every employee's responsibility. Okay, okay. And what about a new company? Which C is the most important for it? So I would say the commitment. Really understand why you're doing this. And, and, and make sure what you're doing is big enough so that you don't actually put yourself in too small of a box. I'll give you an example. Um, there's a number of companies that really specialized and, and they specialized. I'll give you Apple, Apple Computer. Uh, you know, it started as Apple Computer. Uh, and then it started getting into the music industry and they had problems with the, the logo because there was already a company out there, um, a production company by the Beatles uh, that had a music company. But, I mean, you start with a why and, and understand why are you doing this? What, what's your purpose for doing this? And that will help you along the route because that becomes your 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 ruler, your, your, your guide as you make your decisions to grow your company and grow your product line to see, does this fit? Does this fit with the promise that I'm giving to my customer? And will this make sense for them? You know, Virgin, uh, Virgin Airlines, Virgin, I mean, music, Virgin. There's a whole number of different products that come out of the Virgin um, trademark. But it makes sense. It makes sense because the value and the purpose is so big and so important from the experience perspective, it doesn't matter what the product is. Okay. Okay, Kim. Now, one thing, you know, you talked about the new company, you talked about the bigger companies. Many a times in today's time, there are buyouts. Bigger companies 
they either merge or they buy out smaller companies many a times to actually build on the on the brand or the company they have or many a times it is just to buy out the smaller companies you know and just get rid of the competition and then you find now how is it that overnight and that is where your expertise i would want for our audience is uh, uh, among whom many would be brand professionals and all overnight they just that that company does cease to exist the smaller company or the company that has been bought the customers of those companies are they have a close connect with that particular brand or that company or their products the new company many a time they are not very sensitive in the way they are dealing with this whole process maybe some pr press release here and there maybe some word here and there but then they expect is that the merged companies or the or, or the company that ceases to exist their customers will immediately be loyal to the new brand or the bigger company yeah. how what would you suggest to people who are going to be part of such processes in the future how they can be sensitive to in this part as well as look at the business part also make it assimilate so well that it is actually taking care of the sensitivities of a company which does not exist but they are going to deal with the customers of that brand who were actually the custodian or the owner of that company how do what would you advise where will the mind and heart and the pocket and heart meet at the same time because it's about humans it's not about robots yeah great question uh not an easy answer though uh for something like this you have to really understand okay what's the purpose for buying it what what was their intention if it's to actually take the brand and then expand it um to a bigger markets or outside a country it really becomes really important to understand what is it that you have what is that brand and so and it's not such a simple you know just do some research go do some research go ask your customers cuz your customers don't know how to answer they it's a relation it's a feeling it's it's there's a emotional attachment how do you get that there's you know there's some research that you can to try and nail some of that but some of it is at the moment and and so we're rational i mean every time we we are asked a question we are rational about our answers we're not emotional i mean go buy a house and 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 you can quickly figure out you become very rational as to why you bought it but when you bought it it was a feeling so so it's it it becomes really important the whoever's acquiring as to why they're acquiring if they're acquiring it just for the for the as you mentioned a couple of different uh, scenarios there is it for the production is it for the expertise is it you know it could be just the employees that you're trying to hire um the innovation that they have uh outside of the brand but if it is about the brand and if it's you do want the brand to exist you better understand can you expand it can you expand the market cuz expanding the market what does that mean 
Is it, are you expanding it to other regions? Are you expanding it to other customers? Are you going to come up with a, 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 uh, a more higher quality? I mean, go in the car industry. I mean, you know, there was, they had looked at, they wanted to get, you know, a higher um, luxury vehicles. Then they had to open up separate dealerships because they understood that customers weren't going to go to the same place. So it's, it's, you have to have your eyes wide open and you have to test. Um, testing things is probably you know the best way. I, I also tell um, entrepreneurs, go slow. If you go slow, one customer at a time, you can fix it. If you go fast and you try to go broad too fast, you, if you fail, you fail. And, and you, you brought up the point you know, of, of you know, keeping that love uh, for the brand, once you've, it's like, like a harvest. Um, when you invest in a, in a, in a brand, you can harvest for a while. People will allow you, give you some, some leeway. We've seen brands do missteps, you know, depends on how they respond as well, but people will usually give you some leeway over time, but only so much leeway. And if you've not proven to them over time, you know, it could be just a bad, bad situation. I'll try it again. You know, was a, that airline, you know, it wasn't their fault, the bad weather. You know, I'll try it again. But if it continually fails and doesn't meet your expectations, you will move on. And we've seen that. We have seen brands, you know, that have been acquired and they've been put into different markets. They've taken a different marketing approach. And they have failed. Right. Right. Now, let's move on to uh, women brand builders. You have recently written a book, your first book, Branding Queens. And it's about 20 incredible women who built, uh, built iconic brands. What, what is this book all about? If I understand, if these are, you know, Around seventy-five percent of women, they can uh, women consume about seventy-five percent of brands, but they are very less in terms of brand builders. And this book is about you know about twenty incredible women who built global brand dynasties. Can you tell us why this you wrote this book? What this book is all about? And can you tell us about this incredible women who have built such iconic brands? Uh, love to. Because uh, this is a passion of mine. Uh, it was took me three years um, to write this book. It actually all started out what Vuve Clicquot. Um, Vuve is a French word for widow. And, and Clicquot, champagne, uh, very nice champagne. And I realized, why would you put widow on a bottle of champagne? So... And then the next thing I discovered, of course, it was a woman that, that had built this, this brand. And so it got me thinking about who are these women? Are there women? And how many are out there that have built iconic brands? So I started that journey and I found 20. Uh, the youngest brand is 18 years and that's Tory Birch. Uh, they are across a number of different industries. Uh, one unique one is, is uh, beach uh, aircraft. 
uh, Anne Beach, uh, started a company with her husband. Her husband passed away uh, quite young. Uh, she could have sold the company. That's what normally you would have done. Uh, but she didn't. Uh, she continued on to, to run it. And in several cases, um, this was the start of many uh, brands. But there have been a lot of women who started from ground zero. Uh, 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 Elizabeth Arden. Elizabeth Arden is, a, is an incredible lady. She started off selling uh, facial creams uh, in a jar. She made it uh, from her house. Uh, these are incredible stories. So these are 20 incredible stories about women who started off, in many cases, with, with nothing. Um, no education, no experience of building a brand, um, but they had a passion. And a lot of cases, they were the customer. And, you know, I talked earlier about understanding your customer. Well, they were the customer in a lot of cases. So, and they continued to learn from their customers. And one of the other aspects that I also noticed through all of these women is their passion to learn because they didn't know everything and they walked into situations, you know, learning. They had to, otherwise they wouldn't have survived. Uh, I always like to say, you know, uh, one saying that, that uh, is used often um, for, you know, the, the giants of, 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 of industry is uh, I will build it and they will come. That is a very, you know, uh, strong statement. These women didn't think that way. They thought, I have a, a problem and I think I can solve it and I will, you know, be rewarded by, by customers that will be happy with that experience. Right, right. And why do you think that these women were, uh, could be so successful in spite of having so much of competition from all quarters? What is it that you noticed apart from building that brand? What is it that they kept on, you know, uh, were able to build such iconic brand? Is there any particular reason or should we consider that uh, this that women are better brand builders? So one of the things that they they well, it's actually two things. One, um, they had a really good sense of themselves. Again, put yourself in a position in a man's world uh, where you are perceived as not knowing anything. And, and you would come up with a concept or an idea and people would say you're crazy. So they had to believe in themselves because nobody else did. And they had this conviction. You know, it's not to say that everything they did was right. Not everything that they did succeeded, but they learned. And they were innovative. They were not afraid to take risks as well. You know, maybe it's because you've got nothing to lose. Um, I don't know. But they did take risks. They were calculated risks, though. They also, the other thing that was very uh, similar in all of them was their empathy. Understanding, as I said, their customer. Uh, and being empathetic. Being a caring brand. This is something we hear today. We didn't hear that 10 years ago. We didn't hear that 40 years ago. We didn't hear that 100 years ago of being caring brand. These brands were caring. So, so you know, your question, are, are women, I think so. Today, um, they are better listeners. They are more empathetic. Uh, and that's what a brand has to be. 
Right, right. The word, you know, caring brands, that's, I, I'm quite, you know, enthused to understand better. What is, what is a caring brand in today's time? Are, is, is it that brands have become uh, very self-centered and instead of focusing on the customer? Or is it that they have become only sellers and not actually caring for their customers? If you tell a brand manager or anyone else who is responsible for a brand, what is caring is a caring brand all about today? Yeah, so uh, great question. Again, it depends on the brand and, and what its footprint is. Younger people today, Generation X and Z, uh, or Y, sorry, uh, and Z, are are really looking at brands and saying, what are they doing to our earth? What are they doing to our planet? Are they, and this is where the caring comes in, as to what is that footprint that that brand is leaving? So if you take water out of, out of, out of the ground, are you replacing it? And how are you replacing that, that water back um, so it's still uh, usable? We have finite, and I think this is what we're, we're noticing with climate change, we have finite resources um, in our, in our, on this planet. So how are brands utilizing these resources? And are they using them responsibly? So, so every brand, it will be different as to how they should be caring. But it, you know, transparency is one of those pieces of, of, of them in the sense of are you transparent of exactly? And it goes back to your commitment. Um, are you fulfilling your commitment? Uh, so, you know, I, when I look at caring, it means different things for different types of brands. Right, right. Now, what about, you know, branding for companies or bigger brands? And there is this big hot word called personal branding because I seem to understand from their understanding to several of the people I talk is that you become an expert of so many things and they keep on talking about it all in the social media that you become an expert you keep on pushing out anything in the social media on all communication channels that is possible and that will lead to personal branding and better branding of yourself the more you are seen the better you know, bigger, uh, the more you are accepted. How is it? How do you see? Uh, would you explain to us exactly what branding is all about and what personal branding is all about? Because we get to hear this word so much, but I still need to understand it better. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of personal branding. Brands, here's the funny thing. And I, this is a quote I, I can't attribute uh, because I can't remember who, who said it. But uh, it was a great quote in saying that products are trying to become more human, i.e. brands are trying to become more human. And human humans are trying to become brands, uh, which is pretty funny uh, when you think about it. Sure, there are famous people that can become brands, absolutely. But it starts by being famous, and then you become a brand. You know, I, I think you're probably better to have a really good resume or a really good, you know, LinkedIn profile. Uh, I think all of that's really important, but building a brand are for, I think, limited amount of people out there. 
you know, for everyone to build their own personal brand, what, what does that mean? Uh, you know, because a brand, as I said, you've got to have one little spot in a, in somebody's head and, and it's, and it's a box. And, and so we don't act that way. Okay. I'm a branding expert. That's, that's, that's my little box, but I have other things I do outside of branding that, you know, makes me a full person. So I can, I can probably put myself, you know, in certain, certain channels as that one particular thing and that's it. But try to be a brand all over the place. I, I, to me, it's a lot of work to being a brand, good brands, successful brands. It takes a lot of work. Do we need to do that as human beings? I don't think so. Okay, but but the, a lot of people who want to become thought leaders, if they say you keep on uh, sharing your thoughts on whatever you know or several times you don't know, uh, you ask somebody else to write on, on your behalf and things go out in your name, either it's an article or even it's a LinkedIn post or any other post, and then it will lead to thought leadership and then it will lead to personal branding. Several of the top leadership also uh, I'm telling you my with my experience even in the media for more than two decades is many a times several of them just focus on building on their personal branding or trying to be thought leaders instead of focusing on the company or the posts that they hold. Yeah. How would you see that? And is thought leadership personal branding? Is it going to lead energy or thought leadership is something coming out of real expertise and not something like that you just can push out through your communication channels. It's not going to work that way. What are your thoughts on this? So great question. If you are passionate about something and you are absolutely dedicated to that particular idea or that discipline, it's going to come natural as a thought leader. If you want to manufacture yourself as a thought leader, it's going to be fine. It's it's not going to exist because you have to build so much. You've identified, you know, several ways of building, getting other people to write things for you, do things for you. Sure, you can do that for a time period, but once you've stopped it, it's done um, because you're. It's not you, and so it has to be you. And I, I I'll go back to some of these women. Um, they were thought leaders. They were leaders uh, of their field as well. And the reason they were because they were passionate about it. And, and so did they have help? Absolutely. They had help um, in, in supporting. But, I, you know, it depends on the leader. Um, there is, you know, a brand has a personality that is likable. Uh, not all people are likable. Um, and, you know, there are some great bright people um, that can't communicate um, effectively. So, so I, I just, I, I just find that trying to be a brand is maybe not the success thing you need because at the end of the day, it's your customers. So do something really well and you will become a brand. Do that thing well and consistently use my five C's. And you will become a brand. But that also limits you because you have to be in that box all the time while you're communicating to your target audience. I'll use um, one great example, Queen Elizabeth II, who recently passed away. 
but she was a brand for 70 years. She spoke once a year, 15 minutes. So her, her Christmas address uh, was her only time that she spoke to multiple nations out there. And, and that was the brand. You could control it. It was controlled. We, as human beings, I don't think we want to be that controlled. Right, right. Uh, how do people, now talking about, you know, uh, exactly about this book, Branding Queens, and people who want to understand much more from you directly, how they connect with you? How do they understand more about this book and buy, buy from where? Where exactly can they do So uh, best place to, to connect with me would be on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm under Derek uh, Razdiba. Um, but you could also Google me. If you Google my name, uh, you'll find my book uh, as well. It's, it's available on Amazon, uh, all, the, all the major uh, uh, book uh, retailers out there. Uh, but yeah, just Google uh, would be the probably the first place. And then if you want to connect with me, uh, LinkedIn. Right, right, Kim. My last question to you, Kim, is uh, you say you have lived a storybook life from Europe on $10 a day for a year to a Fortune 500 corporate leader, Olympic torch runner and founder of Youth AG Summit. A mature chef to oinophile. I guess it's something related to wine, I guess. And musketeer, mus musketeer, and blogger to mentor. So many things. How have you, uh, you know, in those branding, personal branding words, if I use, how you have you managed to brand yourself? Or maybe I'll put it a much more human way. How have you managed to play so many roles at the same time? To perfection because you are also a very very you know responsible father and husband so continue to follow your be inquisitive um try new things i try to uh i mean my first my first job i said uh i would stay in the job five years i said five years would be good enough that i'll move on and I, and I did that for a number of years. Uh, and then I actually started going out to 10 years because I was having too much fun. But it's all about, uh, you know, I love watching people and understanding people. But it is just being inquisitive and, and learning new things, trying new things, um, shaking things up, driving a different route, um, using the other hand, um, picking up a book that you have, a topic that you've never you know, thought of uh, magazines. I do that with magazines. I'll go, I'll look and just look at the picture and I go, oh, this looks interesting. And I'll pick it up and I'll read it and I'll learn something. It's about just trying to learn new things. And, and you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, $10 a day in Europe. That was when I was 18. And it was foundational for me because I kept learning every day something new. And, and, you know, if we start that way and we continue to develop ourselves, I think we become better people. Right. Isn't being a better person the best brand uh, perception of yourself? I hope so. Right. 
I want to understand after ha having achieved so much, what is it that you seek now? Is it related to branding? Is it related to more learning? Is it related to more happiness? How or I leave up to you. Where, what exactly that you seek now? So I, I'm now, uh, I think I'm now in, in a phase where I really want to share. Uh, you know, I've experienced, as you said, a lot of different things. And I've had the, the, uh, the, the pleasure of uh, learning from a whole bunch of other brighter people than me. Uh, and traveling uh, as well. I have not been to India. That's on my bucket list, uh, but I haven't been there yet. Uh, but where I am today is is sharing my knowledge. Uh, you know, writing. Uh, as you said, this was my first book. I've started my second book uh, this week, actually. Uh, I'm going to hopefully see if I can uh, get a couple of pages done over the about the holidays that uh, are, are, I'm going to be uh, participating in. So, so uh, yeah, I, I just want to share and uh, take the knowledge that I've learned over the last 30 odd years and put it onto, onto paper. Right. On this note, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much, Kim, for joining us. Thank you, AJ. I really enjoyed it.